Amen. It's good to be saved, isn't it? Good to live in northern Michigan. A couple amens on that in Peru. <laughs> I don't know. What's the Peru weather this time of year, Fritz? Is it warmer? A little bit warmer where you're at? Okay. <laughs> amen. How about the book of Genesis tonight? We're going to pause and put the brakes on to the book of First Samuel just for tonight. Genesis chapter number 50, if you would. Genesis chapter 50. And when you find your place, I'll have you stand here. You haven't been standing up, I guess. Genesis chapter 50 now. Not all of us have been raised in church, amen, those of us who are, it's a blessing, it's a privilege, and I guess at the same time, it's a responsibility. But uh, many of you know the story about Joseph in the Bible, it's not just a story, but it's history, that actually took place. And uh, just to catch up to speed, of course, Genesis chapter number 37, uh, Joseph, the 17-year-old dreamer. He comes on the scene. First we hear about him, he's 17. He's loved by his father. He's envied and hated by his brethren. They throw, it, throw him in a pit. Genesis chapter 39, Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt, and yet the Lord still blesses him while he's there. Genesis chapter 40, Joseph is put into prison for something he didn't do, and the Lord blesses him there as well. In Genesis 41, Joseph goes from the pit to the prison, and now he's brought up to the palace where the Lord blesses him, and Joseph is able to interpret the dream for Pharaoh, which many of you know that. Genesis 42, Joseph is now second ruler in the kingdom, and he feeds the entire nation through the famine. Genesis 45, you know the story, Joseph is reunited with his brother. Genesis 46, he's reunited with his father. And Genesis 47, Joseph nourishes his uh, whole family in Egypt, 48, he's sick, 49, Jacob dies. And uh, I'm sorry, 49, he gives the last will and testament, and then he dies in Genesis 50, where we're at. He's embalmed and he's buried, and they mourn for him, I believe it's 70 days. And here we pick it up in Genesis chapter 50, verse 14. That's the cliff note version of Joseph, by the way. In verse number 14, the funeral is over. And here we pick it up, the Bible says in verse 14, And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, so shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, that we did unto the, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. <clears throat> and Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day, 
to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly unto them. Brother Brian, would you pray and ask the Lord's help in the preaching? Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. To say that Joseph is a type of Christ is an understatement. Uh, some sources have claimed that Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ. He's a picture in over 150 ways. I haven't quite found 150 of them, but there's a lot. Amen. There sure is a lot. Um, here in Genesis chapter 50, we're at the end of the account where Joseph is alive. I don't know how old he is here. I don't know how much longer he lives. You can kind of figure it out at the end there. But uh, I want to show you about five different characteristics, five different traits, or you could call them a snapshot, five snapshots in his later years that magnify, exemplify, and typify the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, that's what this Old Testament is for. Amen. 66 books in the Bible, and a lot of Christians miss the blessing that God has for them because they don't read the Old Testament. People say, well, it's just Old Testament, you know. <laughs> that's pretty good Old Testament. Some of the best preaching comes out of the Old Testament. Um, and the, I mean, you need the New Testament to get your doctrine right, to get your doctrine from Paul. And of course, all Scripture is given by inspiration to God, but you really need that Old Testament. And that's where the Bible says here, Paul says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So as we look at the character of Joseph today, I want to show you just a few things and how he pictures the Lord Jesus Christ and try to encourage you and try to maybe give you a little bit, pick you up in the middle of the week here in this tremendously weird weather. All the snow came, and it's all going to go away. Amen? But don't worry. There's more to come. <laughs> Amen? But let me show you this. In verse number 17, the first trait, snapshot, or uh, picture of Jesus Christ I see in verse 17 has to do with Joseph and the forgiveness of his brethren. The forgiveness of his brethren. The Bible says here in number, verse 17, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren. And you know what? Joseph had already forgiven his brethren. And here they are worried about things. And uh, the only thing I can see here is that his brethren, they just suffered from a really bad conscience. A lot of Christians suffer from a bad conscience. Most people in the world, they have a terrible conscience. And uh, they're in, uh, uh, they, they had wanted to kill Joseph, remember? Uh, take your Bible. We'll look at a couple things here real quick. In Genesis chapter 37, uh, I say they had a bad conscience because what happens is when you are a certain way and your behavior uh, exhibits certain things, you have a tendency to kind of project your behavior on other people if you're not careful. Uh, because you respond to a situation, you think that probably they're going to respond the same way too. But here in Genesis chapter 37, verse 18, notice the Bible says, talking about his brethren, they conspired against him to slay him. 
You know what? They envied him and they hated him so much they wanted Joseph dead. Now listen, I will agree that there were some times growing up that I really didn't want to be around my siblings. But I'm not quite sure I wanted them dead. Boy, they really must have ticked him off. Amen. They envied him. They hated him. And here they conspire to kill him. Don't answer, but have you ever conspired to kill somebody? Please don't answer. <laughs> and uh, they not only wanted to kill Joseph, look back at verse 4, same chapter. The scriptures plainly say they hated him. Now that's a picture of Jesus Christ, isn't it? I mean, when Jesus Christ came to this world, he lived a perfect, sinless life. And you know what they did? They hated him. They hated him. They conspired to kill him. It's like his life and Joseph's life are running in the same stream, isn't it? And uh, look here, uh, what happens back in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15 there. They project their own bad conscience upon Joseph. In verse 15, they say this, Joseph will peradventure hate us, you see it, their bad conscience, and requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Did they have any proof that he would? None at all. Matter of fact, they had all the opposite. He had repaid them kindness for their hatred. He had been good to them when he, they were bad to him. But yet their conscience is so messed up that the only thing they could think is, we're going to get it. That's what they were thinking. You know, over in Titus chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul talks about a defiled conscience. And the thing you want to take note of in the book of Titus, chapter 1 and verse 15, is what is directly tied to your conscience is your mind. A man with a dirty mind is continually dirtying up and defiling his conscience. The mind and the conscience are tied together. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, we see that someone can sear their conscience. That is, you can get to the place, Christian, where you know something is wrong and it just don't bother you anymore. And I believe that you're to this place with these brethren. They had so mistreated Joseph and it just followed them for 30-some years. Their conscience is defiled. Their mind is defiled. And now their conscience is seared. And because that's what they would have done to Joseph, they said, that's what he's going to do to us. That's not what happened, is it? But the forgiveness of his brethren is what I see in this passage. Now, one feller said this, the reason some people never listen to their conscience is because they have a strong conviction against taking advice from strangers. You'll have to think about that one for a little bit. And some people's conscience are so strange to them because it's messed up, it's dirty, it's defiled. And some Christians have even just seared their conscience that they can't take advice because it's a total stranger to them. But Joseph had already forgiven him. Look at verse 19. You know Joseph had forgiven him. He says, he says, fear not, for am I in the place of God? You see that? Joseph had already forgiven them, just like Jesus Christ had forgiven his accusers on the cross. 
Will you take your Bible and look at Luke chapter 23 tonight? Joseph is a beautiful picture and type of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died for our sins and he hung on the cross of Calvary, and they had mocked him and spit on him and ripped his beard out of his face and beat him, bought half to death, and he, he willingly put himself on that cross and they nailed, put them nails into his uh, hands and nail into his, his feet there and they put him up on that cross. Now you know this, Christian, he did that for us. But even that, you know what he does? In Luke chapter 23 and verse 42, Luke 23 and verse number 42, Bible says, and he, uh, nope, 3, 43, that's not what I want either, 34, I'm sorry. He says, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now I want to ask you this question, and I know you know the answer. Had anybody around them asked Jesus for forgiveness? But you know what he did? He went ahead and forgave them. He forgave, I see it here, the entire nation of Israel, gave him another chance. And when he did that, he, he forgave you and I if we're willing to accept what he did for us on the cross. And that's why I see the forgiveness of his brethren. Joseph had already forgiven his brethren, Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross. He forgave them in advance. Can I say this, that true forgiveness doesn't wait to be asked for to have grace extended. Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For, I forgave any, uh, for if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. That is the forgiveness of his brethren. I'm telling you what, you and I could learn a lesson tonight just from the forgiveness that Joseph extended to his brethren. And I'm telling you what, a lot of times we get hurt, and you do, and I do too, and don't, don't sit there and lie about it. You get hurt, and people do you wrong, and you hang on to it. And yet you don't even know if they meant it on purpose. You just think they did. Why? Maybe it's your conscience. Maybe because that's what you would have done. But maybe someone else is just human, and they just made a mistake. Or you took it wrong because you were super sensitive that day. You see what I mean? Listen, everyone that does something wrong to you isn't doing it on purpose. You and I need to learn to forgive. Forgive and forget. You say, well, I can forgive, but I sure can't forget. Well, Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are ahead. I want to show you the second thing I see here in the life of Joseph. Number two in verse 17, I see the brokenness of his heart. The brokenness of his heart. Bible says, and Joseph wept when they spake unto him. I'm trying to put myself in the mindset or the character of Joseph here. Is he's done everything he's done. And you know, Joseph has learned along the way. I mean, Joseph is a good boy. He becomes a great man with an excellent spirit. But Joseph was testy along the way, and the Lord tested him. And Joseph kept passing the test. And he could have done things just a little bit better in some places. And he learns. But I'm trying to think about all the good that Joseph has done for his brethren, and yet they still think he's going to do them wrong. He was broken over that. That Bible said Joseph wept. You see that? Joseph was broken because of why? Because of unbelief. And I got to thinking, you know, that's exactly how Jesus Christ is. He is broken at our unbelief. 
I think over there in John chapter 11, he's with Mary and Martha and his best friend Lazarus had died and had been in the grave. And you get over there to John eleven thirty five, and I know you all know the verse, amen, Jesus wept. But you know why he wept? You say, yeah, he wept because he loved Lazarus. Okay. But I see through that passage, I believe he wept because of the unbelief. Because three verses later in verse 38, you see Jesus Christ groaning in spirit. And that has to do with because people would not believe who he was. But Christ's heart was broken by the unbelief of others. And every Christian has to learn to guard their own heart against unbelief. Listen, I don't know if you're saved or not today, if you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. But if you have, you still have to guard your heart against unbelief. Uh, we call that in the New Testament faith. And a lot of times Christians live a life without faith. And I want to tell you here real quick just a couple things. You know what can help your heart? If you struggle with not having faith, if you struggle with unbelief, not believing that God will do what He said He'll do, and not believing that God is who He says He is, and having a, a bad conscience toward the, the one who saved you, can I tell you today that the heart is helped through the Word? The heart is helped through the Word of God. The Bible says in Romans 10.10, 10, With the heart man believeth. Right? We know that in here is where a man believes. It's not up here. Now, I mean, I can believe all day long in something up here, but it doesn't mean anything until I believe in it here. John, uh, Romans 10.10, 10, uh, it says that, uh, that with the heart man believeth, but in verse 17, the Bible said, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You can help your heart by that book that's in your lap. If you have a troubled heart tonight, nothing like a good time spent in the Bible will do to help you. Your heart can be helped this week by just taking some extra time. It doesn't have to be five hours or six hours. It can be an extra five minutes, exactly what God wants you to have. Your heart can be helped because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You say, yeah, preacher, but that's talking about salvation. Sure is. But why can't it apply to helping you with unbelief? Your heart can be helped through that book. I'm trying to help you tonight and into this week. Can I tell you that the heart is helped, Christian, by being filled with the Spirit of God. I'll take your Bible, look at Ephesians chapter 5. You know the passage, and unfortunately our familiarity with the Scriptures, it kind of breeds contempt. I almost hate to say that anymore because the more I read this book, you know what I realize? I really don't know that book like I think I do. I mean, I can quote some verses and I can find them, but like, you know what I'm talking about? And the Holy Spirit's like, you do? <laughs> Romans 5.18, the Bible says this, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You say, preacher, how is that going to help my heart? Keep reading speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know what helps you, uh, your heart? You say, okay, preacher, the right kind of music. That's a good start. But how about, asking, how about asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you consistently, on a daily basis, because you got to remember, your filling will wane from time to time. 
When was the last time you consistently said, Good morning, Lord. Would you please fill me with your Holy Spirit that I could do exactly what you want, put a smile on your face, and fulfill your will in my life? Can you imagine how your problems could be differently approached if you approached it filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Amen. <laughs> if your heart is helped by being filled with the Spirit. How about this one? If you look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, we see the heart is helped through the Word of God. The heart is helped through the filling of the Holy Spirit. And next thing I see here, just topically, just for a moment, your heart is helped with an extra helping of grace. Your heart is helped with an extra helping of grace. The Bible says here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 9, For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. To me, I see this just like the last one. There's things that you and I pray for. Lord, please help me pay the bills. Lord, please help me get to work safely and on time. <laughs> Amen. Lord, please help me to be a witness. That's all good stuff. But when was the last time we consistently say, Lord, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Father, please give me grace for today. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, I believe around 14. <clears throat> oh, I just lost it. Gone. <laughs> Mine's a terrible thing to explode on you. <laughs> Talks about, who. Uh, what's the verse for that? Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. What about one before that? 2.12. How about 11? There it is. Thank you. <laughs> okay, we'll eventually get to it. Verse 11. <laughs> for the grace of God. There it is, right? That bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that. So grace is the great teacher, isn't it? So if grace is the great teacher, why don't we ask to be taught more often? Lord, will you give me grace? I can't see the need. Will you give me the grace? I'm in a tight spot with my family. Will you give me the grace, Lord? I'm telling you, your heart can be helped with an extra helping of grace. The Bible says it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. You see, what you don't what you need sometimes is just a little bit more grace from God. Just a little bit more filling of the Spirit. Why? Because when you don't have the filling of the Spirit, you're trying to do things in the flesh. And this thing is a waste of time. It wears you out. It frustrates you. Do you realize that you never get frustrated when you're filled with the Spirit? You get frustrated when you're filled with yourself. I don't believe, I don't care what you believe, that's the truth. The Spirit of God does not get frustrated. And Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Well, I'll give you one more. The heart is helped, of course, through prayer, which all ties into being filled with the Spirit. We see in Romans chapter 10, just a kind of like a cross-reference, Paul says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God. And talk about Israel being saved there. Just some things that will help your heart, but I want you to see the brokenness of Joseph's heart, just like Jesus Christ's heart was broken through unbelief. Can I give you another one here tonight in verse number 20? Verse number 20. We're looking at the character aspects of Joseph and how they're a great type of Jesus Christ. I'll give you this number three. Uh, some of you might like this maybe better than the others. I want to give you the plainness of his speech. The plainness of his speech in verse 20. Now, he sure was... He sure was broken. Uh, he sure was forgiving. 
He sure was plain in his speech. Bible says in verse 20, notice he doesn't pull any punches. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. You see it? That's pretty plain, isn't it? I mean, hey, what you did was wrong. Nothing wrong with that. Very plain. And I just want you to see that Joseph was very plain in his speech. He didn't pull any punches. If you look over it, you don't have to turn there, but Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. Go ahead and look there. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead and look there. I think it's important. Important to see this verse of Scripture and how it relates to your Christian life. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 9. Joseph was very plain, but yet he was very graceful. 17 verse 9. No, that's not it. Is it? No, that's 18. The Bible said, He that covereth the transgression seeketh what? You see that? But he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Let me tell you what, Christian, you got to be careful when you come into the church house. you got to be careful when you read your Bible. you got to be careful when you're dealing with family, when you're dealing with friends, when you're dealing with brethren. If all you ever do is seek for love, it could be that you're covering something up. I've seen people time after time, carloads of them, they say you're not nice when you preach. God is my witness. I've never tried to be intentionally an idiot. Every once in a while, I'm just an idiot, but not intentionally, amen? But never intentional. And people say, you're just not nice, you're just not kind. Hey, I'm just pretty plain. I, I'd, I'd rather give it to you plain than dance around the thing and you not get what God wants you to have. And if all you ever do is come into a church house and say, I wonder what kind of sweet nothings our preacher going to say today. Could it be that you're just covering something up? Oh, what are you hiding there? What are you hiding there, Aiken? I mean, if you're seeking love, you're, you're hiding something. Not to get away from what we're preaching about, plainness of speech. Yet Joseph's words were seasoned with grace in verse 20. Notice right after he says, Ye thought evil against me. He puts God in the mix. But God meant it unto good. God meant it unto good. Joseph's a great preacher here. Because he takes out the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the truth, and he sticks him right in the guts. And then he, Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turneth away wrath. But God meant it unto good. That's the right type of preaching. It hurts. It sticks. It wounds. But Joseph, he turns around and he seasons his word with grace. Great plainness of speech. And it's a great type of Jesus Christ because Christ was plain in his speech while he was on the earth. Jesus Christ was the greatest preacher that ever walked the earth. The greatest preacher ever was. The greatest illustrations. The greatest orator. The greatest master of syllables and uh, everything else. Jesus Christ was very plain in his speech. You notice that he was very authoritative in his speech. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 22. I'll give you a couple real quick here. Jesus Christ was authoritative in Mark chapter 1, verse 22. The Bible says, for he taught them as one that had authority. You know why the Jews, they marveled at Jesus Christ? You know why? I can just see it when that Bible says they marveled. It's like their jaw hit the ground. Duh. 
because he, he didn't talk like a, he had lace on his underwear, amen. He talked like he was a man. He talked like he had authority. He talked like he had some sense. And those people are going, you got to be kidding me because he don't talk like them religious people down the road do. And they marveled at that. His speech was authoritative. Not only that, Mark chapter 16, verse 14, the Bible says that Jesus Christ upbraided his own disciples for their unbelief. His speech was rebuking. You got to know in your Christian life that every once in a while, you're going to have to get rebuked. I remember uh, no matter where I've worked, there's always been that time where you get pulled into the office and you just get what for. And I never have understood it, of course, because we never think we do anything wrong, amen? But the fact of the matter is, every once in a while, you're going to have to get rebuked. The Bible says it's a way of life. And Jesus Christ, he upbraids the disciples with their unbelief. His speech was rebuking. Not only that, if you were to glance through Matthew chapter 23, there's eight different times in Matthew 23 where his speech was vicious. His speech was vicious. He calls them hypocrites eight different times. Who's he calling hypocrites? The religious people. I mean, Jesus Christ was a name caller. <laughs> he calls them hypocrites. He calls them blind guides. And the list goes on. His speech was vicious. You know, and I say, I say that some people are smoking crack and people get upset. Jesus Christ was vicious. Now that, but his speech was judgmental in Mark chapter 7 and verse 27. Not just vicious, but it was judgmental. You know, preaching ought to be judgmental. I mean, if you were really here for a pep talk and a pep rally and just for someone to tell you how good you are, there is a 100,000 podcasts out there that you can listen to and someone will go tell you you're a good person. And you can do it in the best version of you now. Buy a tie, spend $400 on my podcast, and you'll be successful. <laughs> I'm trying to figure that one out. But Jesus Christ's preaching was judgmental. Mark chapter 7, verse 27, he called that Syrophoenician woman a dog. Very judgmental. Not only that, but his speech was sarcastic in Luke 13, 32. You say, how is he sarcastic? Jesus Christ was the master of hyperboles. He was the master of sarcasm. Uh, uh, the one feller came to Jesus Christ in that passage there, and uh, he says, Herod's going to do this to you. Jesus Christ turns around on the heels. He says, you tell that fox. And he says, I'm going to do this, and tomorrow I'm going to do that. He was sarcastic. And let me tell you what, he, Jesus Christ was very plain in his speech. Of course, his speech was pointed told his disciples that these religious people, they were blind, and they were leading the blind, very pointed in a speech, and of course the speech was brutal. John chapter 4, verse 18, I believe many of you know the story. It's the woman at the well. It was brutally honest because Jesus says, where's your husband? And she goes, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. You got five. And the one you're with now ain't your hubby. You see what I mean? That's brutal. I'm like, ooh, ooh. Because in every Christian's mind, there's a couple things that you don't want anyone to ever know. 
And to give you the idea what that was is if someone came up and said, yeah, what about that and that? And you're like, oh, exit stage left. <laughs> and now go to a commercial break. I'm telling you, it was vicious, it was pointed, it was brutal. Well, that's the plainness of speech of Joseph being like a type of Jesus Christ. Can I give you another one here? And I just a couple more will be done here. I want you to see here in verse 21, Genesis chapter 50, I want you to see the tenderness of his promises. The tenderness of his promises. Going back to Joseph here. In verse 21, <clears throat> after, even after everything that's going on, his brokenness, forgiving his brethren, his plainness of speech, Look how tender he is. Verse 21, now therefore fear ye not. <laughs> fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. I don't know if you understand his brethren, can I say it like this, ruined his childhood. He had every worldly reason to hate them guys. But whatever he had on him, Ajax couldn't take it off. And he loves his brethren. He's already forgiven them. And notice the tenderness that we see on the man that's been abused. The tenderness of his promises. I will nourish you. I think it's amazing. Joseph in his tenderness, the first thing he wants to do is he sought to relieve their fears and assure them of future health. I think many times as Christians, when someone do us wrong, we want to assure them of a future death. <laughs> and you know, you know, I mean, think about it. If you uh, if you've got bitterness against somebody, you're just hoping that their life falls apart so you can feel better about it. But Joseph says, "Fear not." Not only that, he he says, "I'm going to take care. Of you. It's going to be all right, and I'm going to be the one to help nourish you because that's what God brought me here to do." You know, that's just like Jesus Christ. You ever stop and think, unless you have a really perverted view of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ sought to relieve the fears of those who serve him. We often have this, this tyrant approach to the Lord, like he's some big bully, and if we don't do it exactly his way, he's going to flick us in the back of the head or something. That's not who the Lord is. Jesus Christ is tender in his promises. He seeks to alleviate our fears. The last thing the Lord wants you to do is to go through this life if you're saved, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and be a fraidy cat, scared of everything including your own shadow. But Jesus Christ, he sought to relieve the fears of those who served him. In Luke 12, 32, you know what he says? He says, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. I think many times we give the Lord a bad rap. The Lord wants to alleviate your fears. He wants to come beside you and give you rest. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Jesus Christ is not a bully, and he doesn't want us to go through life bullying everybody else because they don't do it our way. Christ's tenderness, notice this, what was aimed at their heart. You notice this in one of the greatest passages in the scripture in John chapter 14 and verse 1. The Bible says, he says to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He tries to alleviate, he assures them, hey, it's going to be okay. 
One of these days, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says, and if I go, and I will come again and receive you unto myself. Man, what a sigh of relief after everything they'd went through, the disciples and everything they would go through, including all their martyrdom. He sought to alleviate fear from their very hearts. His tenderness was aimed at the heart. And Christ's tenderness, likewise, is given to us through his word. You know what makes a tender Christian? Spending time reading the Bible. You know what makes a hard, bitter Christian? Someone who stays away for long periods of time for those blessed pages. There's something about the pages of the Bible that tenderize the heart. Because that Bible, the Bible is like a sword. It's like a prick, the Bible says. And you get over there in Acts chapter 9 and, and the Lord knocks Paul to the ground or Saul to the ground. He says, oh, Saul, Saul, why, why, you know, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And the more you read that Bible, it's like little daggers in your heart. And what you want to do with a nice steak is tenderize it. And you got to put a lot of little punctures in it. And that's what that Bible will do to you. It will make you tender. And Jesus Christ gives us his tenderness through that sharp pointed word. And I tell you, you know the verse there in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 that says, I were, the word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And let me tell you what, when you get stuck by the sword, it sure does hurt. But I'm so glad it's so sharp. It's not rusty. It's not ragged. But let me tell you what, it cuts. Not only it slices and dices, right? But it goes in there and it cuts out sin. And it cuts out cancers in our life. And it cuts out the cancers of bitterness and the cancers of things in our life that don't need to be there. When you hear that preaching, when you read that book, it goes in and it cuts it out and it makes you tender to what he wants you to do. That's the tenderness of Jesus Christ seen through the life of Joseph. In Psalm 119, verse 156, David says, Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. And he links it to this, quicken me according to thy judgments. Well, let me give you this last one here. I want you to see finally here the kindness of his actions. The kindness of his actions. Back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 21, you see here, Joseph, Bible says, and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. I don't know how you read your Bible. I'm sure it's one word at a time like I do, amen. I read my Bible, I'm like, Joseph is such the better man. Would you agree tonight? And can I say Jesus Christ has always been the better man. Joseph, without a doubt, he is such a better man, even though he was just flesh. He was such a better man than his brethren. And then I began to see that picture. Joseph is a type and picture of Jesus Christ, and we are his brethren. We are the ones that have wrongly treated him. We are the ones that have put him in the pit. We are the ones that put him in the prison. We are the ones that made him hurt. We are the ones that made him uh, all the discomfort there was. But I see the kindness of his actions. Joseph's actions, they proved his kindness in verse 21. Notice here. He comforts his brethren first. He just comforts them. And notice that he speaks kindly second. And let me tell you this, your actions will prove your words. Your actions prove your words. 
it's easy to say, oh, I sure appreciate you. I care about you and never do nothing about it. It's something else to just go ahead and do something about it. And then maybe if you say something later, great, because they already know because of your actions. Just like Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus Christ did? He went to the cross for you and me. So many years ago, he came and he lived that perfect, sinless life, didn't he? Neither was guile found in his mouth. He went around, the Bible says, doing good. The spotless, sinless son of God. And he took our hell, he took our death for us, he paid for our sin. He was the great and only substitute for sin. And I'm telling you what, he took it all. Those were his actions toward us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. You know, I don't know how old I was when I learned about Jesus Christ, but I grew up knowing that Jesus loved me. You say, how would you know? Because <laughs> you went to church, probably a good part of it, amen? But you know how I always knew Jesus loved me? Because he died for me. The kindness of his actions. He shouldn't have had to die for me. I don't deserve him. I don't deserve heaven. I deserve to be in hell, like the old preacher said, with gasoline britches on. <laughs> but the kindness of his actions... 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, the Bible says, Herein is love. Not that we love God, that's not it, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. That propitiation means the only pleasing sacrifice. The only thing that would do for your sin was Jesus Christ. The kindness of His actions. Titus chapter 3 and verse 4, the Bible says, But after that, kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. I don't know if you ever stop and just think how kind God was to you to send his son to die. You say, oh, preacher, sure is kind of elementary. I know it sure is, but it sure is good. Just to think how kind God was to you and me. To give us his son, we didn't deserve it. We could never pay for it. We never will be able to. But he was so kind, and he sent his son to die for us. Have you ever just stopped and think about how kind he was for you? Let me ask you this question. Has there ever been a time where you trusted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior? You say, well, I've gone to church a time or two. I'm not talking about going to church. Everybody goes to church. Even the people that uh, are lost go to church, and they go to church out in the woods, and they go to church in the deer blind, they go to church out, out in the boat. Has there ever been a time you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Here you have a perfect picture of Joseph. What does he do? He goes through literal hell on earth to do what? To save his brethren. And they hated him. And you know what? On the cross, we've already preached this, on the cross after they abused him and misused him, he still said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Man. You say, what is that? He's got something I ain't got. The Bible says he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before his shears is dumb. He was reviled against, and he reviled not again. If you would have been you or I, I'm going to guess, I know how I'd have reacted. I'd try to take a few with me. Why? Because you wouldn't have thought you did anything wrong. 
that he died for you and he died for me. And Joseph, a beautiful picture and type of Jesus Christ going through what he went through in the pit and then in the prison and finally to the palace to save us from death, to get us out of Egypt eventually. Amen. The character of Joseph from start to finish is nothing shy of exemplary. We know Joseph had to take a pretty rough ride through the pit, to the prison house, through all that pain, eventually to get to the palace to stand before Pharaoh. Yet through the journey, Joseph honored the Lord. He grew from his youth and all the way into his older years. The life of Joseph gives us snapshots of his character. And in each snapshot, you know what I see? A little bit clearer picture of who Jesus Christ really is. I mean, he's a great testimony in his youth, but he gets better along the way. What a beautiful life. Can that be said about your life tonight? Does your life reflect the life of the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I say that you can do that today? You don't have to wonder anymore where you'll spend eternity. I know many of you are saved, but you don't have to wonder you don't have to go to bed uh, worrying about where you'll spend eternity. If you'll but believe what God said about His Son, you can be saved in the night. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the life of Joseph that gives us such a clear picture, such a clear snapshot. And Father, thank you, Lord, how you used him mightily to show us a picture of you. Now, Father, would you use us for the rest of this week? Would you work in our hearts tonight? Father, would you help us to draw closer to you, not only in our fellowship, but Father, as we walk with you and our communion with you, would you, Lord, let this world see more of you and less of us? Father, we pray if there be anybody here that's not saved, may today be the day of their salvation. May they trust Jesus Christ today and get it settled in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you have a great night. We'll see you Sunday.